Welcome to our Making History Parenting Podcast. My name is Chase Baker, and with me is co-host Jennifer Akers. And today we are going to have an important conversation around this idea of racial reconciliation and helping our families be intentional about um, the conversation and about celebrating diversity and standing against racial inequality. Mm -hmm. So before we jump into the conversation, we wanted to introduce a very special guest that we're excited to have with us today. So James Etta Cleveland is a mom to three grown kids. She's a boy and two girls, and she is actually really involved in the life of our church. And through her ministry, Sports Mom University, James Etta spends her time investing in the lives of moms whose kids are really involved in sports. Yes, and our kiddos have been taught by James Mm -hmm. Etta, and she loves on them each week, and uh, also you can find her running a camera on Sunday mornings yes. on occasion, so it's <laughs> great. So, We're <laughs> thankful for her. <laughs> we are thankful to be having this conversation with you today, and to get us started, um, why don't we do this? Why don't you tell our listeners about who you are, and tell us about your family, tell us about yourself. Well, let's see. Uh, I'm an Army brat. Um, my family has a, mi- a military tradition going back 70 years, so we oh, have wow. Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, but my mom and dad both served in the Army, and then I came here because I married the military, and we came to Fort Campbell, and then I got divorced, and I came to Nashville, and it's interesting because we're having a conversation about diversity. Um And the reason that I picked Nashville is because there were multiple cultures here, multiple languages spoken. Um, There were there's the arts here. There's athletics. There's great education. And so I had come. I had lived in Europe, in Germany for a while, and I was accustomed Mm. to different cultures. And so I was like, oh, Nashville is going to be great because it has lots of things that I experienced in Europe and all in one place. So we've been here since 2001. Um, I raised my kids here. Uh, we we um, came here, ironically, I'm a sports mom, and football brought us to Rolling Hills. <laughs> Very athletic, talented <laughs> children. It's so funny. We were um, making the decision on what school to go to, and my son Ronald was choosing between the Air Force Academy and other schools, uh-huh. and someone at BGA, which is where we went to school, they said, you need to meet Tammy Reese. And she was the, actually the first person that I met when I, my very first time coming to Rolling Hills. And I was like, look at God answering prayer, mm-hmm. allowing me to know that I'm in the right place. And so um, we've been here the last five or six years. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, now, before we move on, I, I want to ask you about your, you know, sports, sports yeah. mom mm-hmm. um, university and, and tell us a little bit about what you're doing. Um, so it was I went through the recruiting process twice. I went through it with my oldest daughter, Synovia, for track, but she had an injury in high school and didn't run in college. I went through it completely with my son, Ronald, who's in the middle, and he actually ended up playing in college at the Air Force Academy. And I was a single mom going through the process, and I was like, where are the moms? Like, mm-hmm. oh, who, yeah. who, who are the moms that I can really lean into, um, get my questions answered, bunch of dads, bunch mm-hmm. of, but no moms. And then once he got to college, I was like, I wish I'd known some things. And I would talk to other moms and we all said, we wish you, we knew certain things. And I was like, we should start telling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, I put together an event last summer called high school football mom one and people actually showed up 
and, and my friend was like, you know, that's that's like a business. When you have stuff that people buy, like that's like yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, that's yeah, a business yeah, yeah. is. <laughs> you got it. So <laughs> this really for me was born out of my journey. I just want to give moms what I didn't have. And so what we do is like we teach all the things that really families, but especially athletic families should know. We teach financial literacy classes on Monday. Um, we have a couple of sexual abuse uh, prevention and awareness classes coming up in the next week. Um, I spend a lot of time. I have a workshop called Who Are You and Who Are You Raising? Mm -hmm. It deals with identity and it helps moms understand who are we That's great. and then go build blueprints so that we can make sure that our children um, grow up with identities not based on sport but based on Christ mm. and so that's, that's what I do I spend a lot of time and I blog y'all I have wrote a blog it's a, a miracle <laughs> it's a miracle um, but yeah telling our stories what is the blog it's called free game Friday free game um, Friday. when my like I'm not super hip but I learned that when people give you wisdom, it's called game. And when you give, away, give wisdom away for free, that's what we do on Fridays. Um, so we call it Free Game Fridays. Oh, and, of course, it. the game. So I interview different moms, and they get to share their journeys. I love it. That is so cool. You are doing a lot. <laughs> you Shh, are doing a lot, James. <laughs> I'm supposed to be resting. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm very restful. <laughs> I'm impressed. I love it. Well, we were excited for you to come talk with us today um, as we talk about diversity and what that means for our families and how we have those conversations. And so we're so thankful that you're here and that you're going to have this conversation with us. So jumping into like what the topic is for today. Um, so you have a really cool experience, obviously, in such an amazing background with your family and with your own kiddos. So can you tell us um, what this last season has been like for you as a black woman, as a black mom? What's it been like you for you in the last couple of months as this conversation is, is building in our world and in our society? What is your perspective? What can you tell us about that? I, I th I'm going to say this is something that I've said to the women in my group. Um, for, for black mothers, this isn't a new conversation. Mm -hmm. um, I am from my, my mom's family is from Mississippi. And Mississippi is still segregated. And one of the things that I used to do is go home. And so my grandfather served, and he came back home to a country that didn't love him, that didn't mm. allow him to, you know, he was supposed to get a GI Bill for education that he couldn't get. He was supposed to get housing, you know, a VA loan. That, so, like, for my family, we it's like the cumulative, like, we've been waiting 70 years for people that we're willing to die for to love us back. Um, the last few Months have been really br brutal, and I can only say, um, in the Hebrew culture, they have this thing called s sitting Shiva, where you actually acknowledge a person's grief very mm -hmm. publicly. Mm -hmm. And as a mom, like, that's what I've been talking to my fellow moms about. Like, we really need people to come in and, and sit Shiva, acknowledge the grief, and allow us to, to process it and feel it. And that's one of the things that when I look at other black moms, like for us, this is not, it's not just about these last two months. Mm -hmm. It's like a cumulative lifetime. You've been waiting for justice for a long time. And so there is a point where you're overcome by grief and you mm -hmm. just need somebody to just sit and say, you know what, you know, be better friends than Job's. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, but, but I like the idea that Job's friends, at least they traveled the distance and they were just willing to sit with him as he sat in his ashes and his mm -hmm. rags. So I, I, I think that a lot of us, I know me particularly, I've been asking people, just just allow me mm -hmm. to grieve, mm -hmm. allow me to process. Mm -hmm. I like that. And, and I think we're going to get back to that too because I, I want to debrief that even more. Um, but even going specifically as we, you kind of, you're navigating this season, but you're also helping your kids 
navigate this season. You, you've raised three black children in this world. So even as you raise it, what, what has been, what has it been like raising your three, three kids and trying to teach them at each stage? Like, this is, this is what I experienced. This is probably what you're going to experience. So tell us, tell us a little bit about that. So I would say one of the things that I, I focus on with my kids, like Christians are supposed to be known for love. Mm. You cannot allow it. Honestly, it's very, it would be very easy for us to say, well, oh, all white people are bad. Um, but you have, as a, as a disciple of Christ and you're trying to teach your kids like to be the hand and feet of God, what is love? What does it look like? It really does look like looking at your own heart and saying, I'm not going to harden it. I'm going to keep it mm-hmm. soft. Um, it takes conscious effort to say, okay, I know I'm, I'm going to put myself out there. There are going to be some people that are going to stomp on my heart and that's okay. Um, it's not really okay, but to say, all right, God's got that part. Mm-hmm. My part is to do whatever's necessary. So for my family, we've always, um, they have, they, we always have conversations. We talk, I check in with them all the time and, and how are you feeling? Especially my son, because he's serving right now. Mm-hmm. And if you know the military, they have to remain neutral. And so one of the conversations I have had with him is like, okay, mom, who's going to be my voice? There are lots of people that mm. say that um, they understand how I feel, but they haven't talked to me. Mm-hmm. They haven't interacted with me. There are some things I want to say that I can't because of where I work and how I serve. But but can you go out and can you be a voice for me? So wow. I would encourage parents to to have conversations um, and sometimes our conversations are tense. Um, and so I've had to just say, okay, tension doesn't mean absence of love. Um, tension, just sometimes you have to lean into it and say, all right. Because our questions are like, okay, mom, what is God doing here? Like you say that he's loving and you say that he's gentle and you say that he's kind. But this has been happening for a long time. I- exactly when is he going to show up? Mm-hmm. So that's very different. <laughs> I know we're having different conversations, but I have to say, um, a friend of mine told me a long time ago that God does not, um, he's not opposed to questions, that he's okay mm-hmm. with asking the questions yeah. and that we as parents have to be okay with our kids a- asking the questions and being able to say like, I don't really know what God is doing right here. I'm really for some justice too. But what we can do is we can pray about this and we can journal and we can get together as a family and we can talk it through wow. and we can say, I'm going to have a soft heart and I'm going to love anyway. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible advice for any parent, I think. <laughs> um, can you talk to us a little bit more in depth about maybe even when your kids were younger and growing up and as they went through those different stages, I'm guessing that those conversations just kind of changed it a little bit as they aged. Can you talk to us about throughout their growth, what that looked like for you? Um, Yes. So I think part of it's easy because my family did travel. So one Mm -hmm. of the things I wanted to do is I always took my kids home because our small town in Mississippi is called Crenshaw. It's about a thousand people. I'm related to 900 of them. Um, (laughs) But the way that the city is structured is the white people live on one side, mm. the black people live on the other, and all of the stores are in the middle, so they never have to mix. So I, I took my kids home starting when they were really little, and so they would ask, like, why are only black people over mm-hmm. here? Because when we live in Nashville, it's not only black people. Mm-hmm. Like, why are there only black people on this side? Or why are all the stores, like, right here? And so the conversations at first started about, like, why is why are we separate? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so then we got to talk about, well, sometimes people are separate and we, and we talk about history. Mm-hmm. And so there, you know, we've, my family, the kids, they, they know Plessy versus Ferguson. They know yeah. what it means. And so when they were little, that's where it started. And when they got older, um, we had conversations about people who would consider you our kind of people. And our kind of people is not necessarily a good concept. So especially when they transferred, we were in public school up until middle school. And then once my kids hit middle school, they went to BGA. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of affluence. And a lot of times in certain instances, they would be the only black person that people had come into contact with. Mm -hmm. And so we had conversations about, okay, when someone says that you're their kind of people, you need to lean into that and figure out what do they mean. Because just because you go, you can't be my person just because we're at the same school. Yeah. Like, you can't say, well, okay, I think that this is an okay black person because they actually got in here. Mm-hmm. Like, th- So we had those types of conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, um, we had to have, every black parent's going to have the talk. Um, and it was funny because I had it earlier than I thought. I bought a car a long time ago. It's, mm-hmm. I still have it. It's a Malibu. And when I bought my Malibu, it's just, it was, it was all about can I afford it and maintenance. But what I didn't really lean into is that when I bought it, it was silver. It had shiny 20-inch rims. It had a stereo system, and it had tinted rims. Now, I didn't do any of that. That's the way it Sounds came like to me. And it was in my budget. And it had low maintenance. But what happened is Synovia got her driver's license. Mm-hmm. And we would we were going to school in Franklin, but we were living in Nipper, Nipper's Corner. The first time she drove through Brentwood, they pulled her over, and they asked her, what are you doing in this neighborhood? Mm. There, she wasn't speeding, but they but they oh. wanted to know, what are you doing here? So I'm like, okay, th- when, when you get pulled over and people ask, is this your car, and, and what are you doing in this neighborhood? And you don't get a ticket, you don't get cited. That's that's the beginning of profiling. Mm-hmm. Um, so she got pulled over twice, and then I had the privilege of getting pulled over, and I loved it when he was like, "Is this your car?" I was like, "My pay- my car payment says it is. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And if you take my license and registration, I promise you, it'll say that it's mine too." But um, we so we mm-hmm. got to have the conversation when they were teenagers about, okay when you're being profiled, you don't necessarily have to do anything wrong. You may never leave the scenario with a ticket. People are going to know, are you supposed to be here? And that leaves a little bit of hurt because, yeah, we were supposed to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, and does this belong to you? Yeah, it does all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. every month they let me know. <laughs> and so what I realized is that it, it, it took about four times. I had to be pulled over twice, and Novi had to be pulled over twice. Um, and then I really, it clicked, like, okay, it's the, it's the car. It's associated with young African-American males who sell drugs because of the, the media and other things. And it was funny because before my son got his driver's license, I had to get new, new tires and rims. So we had to have a conversation there about the reason I'm changing my tires and rims mm-hmm. is because if you change something about this car, then it makes it safer for you to drive. Yeah. And as it, I've never, we have never been pulled over ever since I took the rims wow. off of it. I mean, it's a, it's a Malibu. It's not like it's a BMW, mm-hmm. but so we had, it was, it's about age appropriate conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it doesn't always have to be about, it doesn't always have to be like, okay, let's sit down. Let's talk about race here. It's, it's, 
what are they noticing? Because they're kids, they're going to notice. And how do you meet them in that moment to Mm -hmm. say, okay, this is why this is happening. And there's some history behind it. So let's do some education stuff because, you know, education is power. And let's let's go make you do some research on an age appropriate level. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because you said this was the conversation. Like, you know, you had to have the conversation. And there's lots of these conversations, but I've never had to have that conversation that you're talking about race. I've never had to have that with, I'm not going to have that with, with my daughter, Kit. Um, my dad didn't have it with me. So you're having different conversations. I think that's important for us to, mm-hmm. to even acknowledge that, that you're having different conversations than I did. And part of what seems significant of this last few months is that I think that hopefully that society is starting to realize we do need to be having those conversations. They're not going to look the same, but that we need to be acknowledging it with our kids no matter what our families look like and starting to have those conversations a lot younger. So I, I guess just to follow up a little bit with what you were talking about, how the families that are listening that are of a different culture, a different background, that still want to be able to have this conversation with their kids, what does that look like for them? What things would you encourage them to start noticing, to start opening their eyes to at a young age, maybe for a preschooler, maybe for a middle schooler, What would you think that that would be helpful for those families? I would say start off by noticing difference. Like Mm -hmm. every child has the ability to influence others. Mm -hmm. So teach your child to notice who's the kid that doesn't have anybody sitting with them at lunch. Like Mm -hmm. I'm saying this and it's so simple, but it's so real because then you get to have the conversation of why. Why? One of the things I did, my kids, you know, athletes are popular. Um, My kid, they're sociable. Um, and so they were popular at every school they were at. And so you, every school has a Valentine's Day party. And I would make my kids identify the person in the class who you think is not going to get a Valentine. Mm-hmm. And we would go to the Fresh Market in Brentwood, and we would buy, like, a special treat and a special card. And on Valentine's Day, my child would present that person, whoever it was, the that was their Valentine and their only Valentine. And so... Start when they're little, two, three, four. Who? Why is someone different? I I taught I teach, in the treehouse, and the kids mm-hmm. ask, "Why is your why Why is your hair different? Mm-hmm. Why is your skin different?" And it's a conversation to say, "Okay, um, God makes people different, mm-hmm. and my hair can do amazing things that maybe yours can't do, mm-hmm. but it's still just as good." So start asking them. Start embracing the conversations if they notice a difference and then just say, okay, this person that's different, um, are we making sure that they're part of the group? Mm. Are we making yeah, sure that we good. eat with them and that we talk to them and that we say hello to them? Because it makes a big deal. I love that. That is such a good, I mean, that's such good advice for any parent at any stage to be look for the kid in the room, look for the person in the room that needs a friend, that needs somebody, and then start asking why. And that's the thing that I don't think we always do is the follow-up. Why are they by themselves or why are they not in that group? I love that. And the, you, sorry, yeah, I was just saying that in the idea of celebrating diversity, mm-hmm. it's kind of, and, and the idea, I've heard this statement before that I don't see color. Well, I want my child to see color. I, I want them to know that God created everybody uniquely and wonderfully, and we can celebrate that, right? So I think that's a really good, mm-hmm. yes, good chance for us to say, no, 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 like, there's so many different qualities about everybody, and they're so unique, and they're so wonderful. And when you say that you don't see color, you deny a part of my experience. Sure. Mm-hmm. 
Um, that's a good point. And that's, you want to see everybody in their total human experience, even if it makes you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And we, I mean, let's just be honest. When we say we don't feel color, we feel a little bit superior when we say that. Um, but really, we don't want to meet people from superiority. We want to meet them at a heart level. Mm-hmm. So I totally agree. Yeah. Do you have any advice for a family that might say, kind of jumping off of what Chase said, about they might say, I don't see a lot of diversity in my everyday life. Do you have any ways that you could say, well, maybe you could do this. Maybe you could look for this. So here's what I would say is you have to get out of your bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can do something really simple. Um, you can go to Nashville and go to an authentic restaurant. And you're going to get some differences. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be able to have some conversation. Um, you can. I'm, you're, I, I don't know any parent who doesn't want their kid to be educated. Um, you can actually go out and say, what are the actual writings like, are there writings by, peop- by, by people of color that I can actually read? Their own documents, their own voices. Mm-hmm. Um, are there people who are from China that actually we have, like, little, do we have their journals? Do we mm-hmm. have their letters? Things that are written in, in their voices, mm-hmm. not necessarily yours. And it doesn't have to be very difficult. Even if you go and say, okay, today I'm going to go to the meal, but I, I'm going to take some time to make sure – that maybe this restaurant is first generation Ethiopian or maybe it's second but you're going to go there you're going to learn about the cuisine and if you allow your kid to ask why does this why is this not the same color mm-hmm. uh, then you get to have conversations if you say you know can I meet the owner you get to actually have mm-hmm. conversations diversity doesn't actually have to be hard mm-hmm. at all that. and you're giving them an opportunity to ask questions yes. if we don't ever give them the opportunity to ask the question they're never going to have the answer there's festivals um, one of there's a lady who teaches free um, dance classes in Centennial Park. Like, oh, they dance differently. How come? Mm. Like, it doesn't have to be hard to learn to appreciate other cultures. It doesn't at all. Um, so as, as a parent trying to raise world changers, because I think we're all trying to raise world changers and passionate followers of Christ, okay? What's the most important thing that you can teach them about this conversation being, you know, pursuing while pursuing Jesus? I'm going to say that I probably feel differently about this, but for me, it's two things. Mm-hmm. Um, the first is love people. Mm. You you have to say, I'm going to be other-centered. Because having the conversation, it it's a little, it's uncomfortable. But you have to love people enough to sit Shiva with them. Mm. You have to love people enough to get in their lives. And that's totally biblical. And the other thing is you have to be completely honest. And the funny thing is, it, it's so biblical because until you really look at yourself, you can't repent and come to and, and to say, okay, I need Jesus. Like, I need him. He has got to be mine. <laughs> like, and so that when you teach your kids to look for honesty, um, and looking for honesty could be, what do I really feel? Looking for honesty could be, all right, we're going to go out and we're going to go to the library because we want to read these letters that these slaves wrote because that's honesty. Mm. That's truth. But you make the parallel. We're doing two things. We're loving people and we're being honest because in order to come to Christ, we have to love people. We have to be honest so that we can repent, so that we can get to him. It doesn't really have to be kind of. But I I realize that I may think of that differently than other people. Yeah, yeah. And and also, that's really good. It also comes to a place of understanding. And uh, you started the the conversation with that. Like, let's get in each other's mess. Let's let's sit with them a little bit. Let's listen. And I've been doing a lot of listening lately, and I've been doing a lot of trying to understand lately. And because here's what I know to be true: this is what 
any situation that we come across, the further we get from a situation or a person, the more distant, the more uh, we we were let we tend to be less em- empathetic. We tend to um, stand up for less. We tend to understand less. But what I've come to understand, the closer I am to a situation and the closer I am to a person, the more complex it becomes for me. It tends to be more personal. And we get to the idea of, well, Jesus was personal. Mm-hmm. He was personal with you. He was personal with me. Um, and I kind of wrote down some things. I actually robbed this from some things that we do. Um, we, we actually um, we love Reggie Joyner. He's a pastor in Atlanta. He said this, Jesus was personal. He spent time with his father. He touched people who had diseases. He spoke respectfully to a scandalous woman. He met leaders privately in the middle of the night. He washed the disciples' feet. He played with toddlers. He was quick to give praise to his heavenly Father. He fed those in need, and he gave his life for you and me. Why did he do this? Because Jesus didn't see people the way the average person sees people. Jesus honored those who were disgraced, befriended those who were marginalized, embraced those who were rejected, forgave those who were shunned, and believed in those who were broken. That's I mean, that's solid. I think we can learn from those kind of statements that Jesus was so personal. Jesus was he got in people's stuff, and he was quick to say, "Man, I want to be your friend. I want to, I want to mend broken hearts. I want to be you know those kind of things." So mm-hmm. I think it was really good conversation to have. Yeah. I think that people have to realize that you are God's hands and feet, mm. like. It doesn't. This doesn't work <laughs> if we're not out there being the hand and feet of God. It just doesn't work mm-hmm. if you're. When people are praying, Lord, I need you to send somebody to show me that you're real. Every time we step out into the world, okay, this you. Come on, Second Corinthians, <laughs> like be the living epistle. They're they're praying for you, and I think sometimes as Christians we forget. We we think, oh, well, they're praying for God. Well, okay, he does work through people, and I need you to go out there so that he can, Mm. you know, be the answer. Um, I tell my moms this. I say, I need you to tell your story because your story is the answer to another mother's prayer. Mm -hmm. And we forget that that. we are the answer to someone else's Mm -hmm. prayer. Yeah, I love that too. And in light of what we're talking about with the fact that we are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus, I think let's, let's look at some takeaways. Let's look at some action steps for families. So as a parent... Um, of any background, anywhere, what are some practical ways that in our day-to-day life, whether we see diversity around us or not, what are some practical things we can start doing now as moms and dads to help our conversations with our kids, um, to help to help have more of those conversations with our kids? What are some things we can do? We can actually, one is notice, because mm-hmm. you're going to see diversity even if you don't think you do, and you notice it. And then you just make it, you just talk about it in a very, it doesn't have to be hard. Like if they ask a question, for example, you're blonde, but there's a brunette standing next to me. Kids are like, why is she? So let's, ha- let's begin to have the conversation. Um, there's, there's diversity all around us if we actually lean into it and we look for it. Um, and, and if you start saying, well, we might look in certain ways the same, but we have differences and start celebrating the differences. Then when they see someone who looks like me, it's like, oh, you're just in the, you're a difference. Mm-hmm. What, let's talk about your difference. Mm-hmm. And, ha- and so noticing and then being willing to have the conversation um, early and often. And if you think that, okay, I want to see, I want my child to see real images, 
the library is a beautiful place, um, and Amazon mm. delivers. There are lots of... <laughs> Every lot day, of, like, all the time, 24-7. They came to my house this morning. Like, uh, But there are there are books that you can buy and I would recommend that you get books written by if you want to if you want your kid to understand um, the experience of what it means to be Japanese American or black American get a book written by someone who's Japanese American or black American because mm-hmm. you want their voice mm-hmm. and you can just say all right we're going to read a book at bedtime it does not have to be very hard at all mm-hmm. yeah. love that you know I, I even we look at our world today and it seems like we're getting more divided, right? And we look over the past, but but there is hope, you know, and that's something we've got to hang on to. There is hope, and um, one of the things I love about uh, Jesus in John chapter seventeen, he could have prayed for anything. He could have prayed for anything. He he's prayed. He said a prayer for his believers um, that were going out to a very diverse world, and they were diverse in their in their own right, right? And he could have prayed for safety. He could have prayed for protection. He could have prayed for um, that persecution wouldn't happen as much, and but he prayed for one thing: he prayed for unity, and mm-hmm. and for us to be one under Jesus and Christ, and and figuring out, hey, we are we are the church, and we are we are also diversity is not a bad thing; it's a really good thing. And he he didn't call us to be um, to not be diverse; he called us to not be divided. Mm-hmm. And so diverse is very good. And so you helping us even process through, okay, how can we? help the next generations, you know, not come to this idea of I don't see color, um, but it comes to the idea that I want to celebrate all, all mm-hmm. God's creation and mm-hmm. the way they look, the way they act, the way they, you know, their culture is, um, and really use that to say, man, God's kingdom is so good. God's mm-hmm. kingdom is so, so much bigger than, than my view of what the world tends to look like, right? So thank you so much yes. for having this conversation. Thank you for having me. Yes, and again, this is our Making History Parenting podcast, so I know that that so many of our parents are going to find this so beneficial and useful for them as they teach their kids about diversity and celebrating diversity. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah.